This is the Software Patent Podcast by BlueShift IP. Hi, and welcome to the Software Patent Podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, the co-founder of BlueShift IP, software patent experts. On this podcast, I and my partner, Cynthia Gilbert, talk about the strategies that we use at BlueShift IP to help our clients obtain strong, broad, defensible, and enforceable software patents in the U.S. and throughout the world. We help people dispel common misconceptions about software patents and how to avoid common pitfalls with software patents so that they can both obtain those strong enforceable and defensible software patents and protect themselves against software patents if they're on the receiving end of a lawsuit. Today, I'm going to focus on the first in a series of special episodes of this podcast that are about how to determine whether your software is patentable. We get this question a lot. I think there's a lot of confusion out there about whether software is patentable? Short answer, it is. We get software patents for our clients all the time, but also about exactly what makes software patentable, what distinguishes patentable software from unpatentable software. We get this question from clients of ours, from our colleagues in other fields of law, and from our patent colleagues in other countries who want to understand what they need to do to work with their own clients in their own countries to determine whether it's worthwhile to file a patent application for their client's invention in the U.S. So we have come up with this series in response to uh, those questions and, and that demand for this kind of content about what makes software patentable that, that we've received over many years. So let me just start out by saying that I think you'll be surprised about what you'll find out here. Most people are surprised to find out just how often software is patentable uh, here in the U.S. and in other countries as well. I'm going to give you, in, in this episode and in the following episodes, a set of criteria that you can apply to at least come to a first-pass conclusion about whether your software is patentable. Of course, the disclaimer always applies. This is not legal advice. If you want legal advice and a legal opinion, I suggest that you retain a licensed and competent patent attorney, such as one of us here at Blue Shift IP. But these are general guidelines that you can apply to get yourself started. They are not hard and fast rules. But we found these guidelines that we'll be talking about in this series of podcast episodes to be extremely helpful to us when evaluating our own client software for patenting in the U.S. through our, our many, many years of experience specializing in software patents. And although these suggestions are based on U.S. patent law, you may find that they're also helpful to a certain extent in other countries. In today's episode, I'm going to focus on one factor that weighs in favor of the patentability of software. And that's this. If your software or your client software includes any kind of new automated decision-making, then that weighs in favor 
of the patentability of that software. What do I mean by automated decision-making? I'm talking about even a single decision within the software that's performed automatically by the software. It could be as little as one instruction in the code. This is very often surprising to programmers who might think of something like that as being trivial. They might overlook that as being insignificant, when in fact, from a patent perspective, it may be significant if it's new enough. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, that the software has to be very complex or sophisticated in the decision-making that it performs. It just needs to be some kind of decision made within the software that's automated. Uh, could be that the program evaluates some data then makes a decision so that when the data has one property, the software does one thing, and when the data has another property, the software does another thing. That's an automated decision. In computer science, we'd call that an if-then or a conditional statement in the code. And one reason I point this out as a factor to consider when evaluating software for patenting is that I get many inventions that come across my desk from from clients or potential clients and foreign law firms where the the software or the algorithm that they describe to me just consists of a sequence of steps to be carried out. Step A followed by step B followed by step C followed by step D. Just a sequence of steps. And when you have a process like that, which always carries out the same steps in the same order, it's less likely that that software is going to be patentable. Why? It is more likely that the patent office will consider that to be an abstract idea as something that maybe could, in theory, be performed or carried out by a human without a computer. Might also be harder to satisfy the law's non-obviousness requirement called inventive step in in some other countries. Although the non-obviousness requirement is very hard to define and explain, in, in short, it requires that there be something unexpected about the invention, the software in this case. In many cases, at least, an invention will be more likely to be non-obvious or surprising when in the case of software, it carries out at least one automated decision. And when it comes to overcoming these abstract idea rejections, which are sometimes called, if you're referring to the section of the patent statute, a section 101 rejection, sometimes called a patentable subject matter or patent eligibility rejection, you know, if you just have a sequence of steps carried out, A, B, C, and D, the patent office might think that that is not complex enough to be uh, anything other than just an idea. Whereas, on the other hand, if there is a step in the method that involves some decision performed automatically by a computer, and then the computer does one of two different things depending on what the decision is, then the patent office might be more likely to see that method as being inherently automated or inherently tied to computer technology In some way, the patent office might see it as being less likely to be capable of being performed manually by a human. And these are all factors that weigh against an abstract idea rejection, conversely meaning they weigh in favor of the patentability of the software. Now, none of these are guarantees. I'm talking in terms of likelihoods and probabilities, but 
again, the purpose of this series is to give you a series of criteria, guidelines, think of them as heuristics maybe, that help you get some general understanding of whether the software that you've invented or your client has invented is more likely than not to be patentable. Now, let me point out some a related factor. If in addition to having an automated decision-making step, your software contains what in computer science we call a loop, then your software, in my experience, will also be less likely to be rejected for being an abstract idea. A loop, what does this mean? It means that one or more steps in the method performed by the software are performed repeatedly and automatically. And if you have a loop in the software or algorithm, that also helps us to make the argument to the patent office that the invention is inherently a computer-implemented method and therefore is not an abstract idea and is not the kind of process that could be performed manually by a human. These are the kinds of arguments that help us both to overcome abstract idea rejections and to help increase the likelihood that we can convince a patent examiner that the software isn't obvious. So a loop weighs in favor of the patentability of the software. So, to summarize, when evaluating whether some software that you or your client has developed might be patentable in the U.S., ask yourself whether that software includes at least one automated decision-making step, such as an if-then statement, sometimes called a branch or conditional statement in computer science. That's the key thing. Secondary, is there also a loop? If, then, and loop, you know, starts to get more automated, more complex, more likely to be patentable. In the rest of this series, each episode will point you to an additional factor that you can learn to evaluate that weighs in favor of the patentability of a particular piece of software. And by the time you've listened to all of these episodes, you'll have a really solid checklist at your disposal that you can use when evaluating whether your software or your client's software is patentable. Of course, to determine whether or not software is patentable, it's best to leave that final decision to a registered, licensed patent attorney in the appropriate jurisdiction in your own country, whether that be the U.S. or elsewhere, and someone who has some real expertise in software patents. If you review this checklist that you'll build up by listening to these episodes, and you find that the checklist leans in favor of that software uh, being patentable, then I'd suggest you go to a patent attorney and get further advice about whether to pursue patent protection. Because again, disclaimer, what I'm providing in this series of episodes is intended to be helpful information. It does not constitute legal advice. Hope you found this first episode helpful. If you did, please tune in to the next three episodes of the podcast on how to determine whether your software is patentable. We'll see you next time on the Blue Shift IP Software Patent Podcast. Bye now. The Software Patent Podcast by Blue Shift IP is hosted by me, Robert Plotkin, and Cynthia Gilbert, who are software patent attorneys and the founding partners of Blue Shift IP, the software patent experts. The Software Patent Podcast is produced by Jenny Media. For all software patent inquiries, please visit blueshiftip.com.